I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I am here again remote while Mr. Sean Latimer is in Newport Beach, California. How are you doing this morning, Sean? Doing great. Good morning. Today, we're going to talk about an article inspired by you. Me? Yeah, inspired by you. Uh, last week, we were talking about 529 plans. And a few times at lunch, you've talked about this too, is like, hey, how do you handle this tension of like wanting to help your kids, but not hindering their maturity? You tend to use the word, you don't want them to be spoiled. Uh, but maybe you can unpack that a little bit. Yeah, we um, we talked about it a little bit on our last podcast that we want to put our kids in an environment to be successful. And if that means, you know, helping them pay for their school or kind of just helping them focus on education and, and not necessarily needing to uh, grow up so fast and get a full-time job at 18, uh, that that's something that I, I kind of wish I had. But then we also talked about doing that kind of made us the people we are today. And so it's it's a fine balance of uh, making sure that they can take care of themselves, but at the same time, uh, we're there to support them. Yeah. And that inspired me because to me, it's like a riddle. Like there's this, it's, it feels like there's this tension point of like, hey, you want to help, you want to create optionality, you want to create opportunity, but you don't want to get in the way of maturity. Uh, on this vacation, I watched this movie uh, about Jesse Owens, uh, the Olympian, and his coach told him this when he was talking about relationships. He says, the choices you're making right now won't even feel like choices until it's too late. And I said in the article, that kind of haunted me because it's like some financial planning things, if you just throw them in the back seat and you're like, hey, they'll figure themselves out, you're making a choice. Um, so there's like no avoiding it or opting out. Like whatever you do as a parent, um, your kids are picking up something. Yeah, it's interesting because I was reading your article and, and so it started to make me think, uh, I, as much as I don't want the kids to be spoiled, uh, my my son Mason, he's almost nine. I he'll ask for things because his friends get them, right? So it's new sunglasses or this or that, and uh, I have to kind of teach him like, no, you need to wait till your birthday, or you need to save your money and and buy it, or I'll split it with you, or, or something like that. But now I've noticed that I maybe talk about it too much because he's so focused on like earning money that I also want him to enjoy being eight and not have to worry about money and having a job and all those things. So that now I'm finding myself on the other side of the spectrum where I just want him to be a kid and enjoy things and not have to stress out if he can save enough money before this thing he wants to go to. And I, I don't know. So uh, listeners out there, you're probably parents, feel free to send us tips because uh, we, we can use them. Yeah. And I find myself even in client conversations a lot lately, and I don't know how to solve this riddle. Like we go through the financial planning process. And as we've talked about in a, in a recent article, there becomes significant leftovers. So you start to walk somebody through like, hey, like, you know, if somebody only has one one kid that they're going to pass down all their wealth, you start to look at, hey, this is going to be a significant number. What's the best way to handle this? And that's why in this article, I don't have like, here's a 12-step program to making sure that you raise financially mature children. I, I don't have that because I think in, in uh, personal finance, as I talk about in the article, it's personal. So you have to figure out how to navigate that uh, on your own in a sense uh, or with the help of your advisor. But what I tried to do is say, hey, here's two real life examples I saw that I put in my back pocket. And I'm like, hey, I want to use these in my own, you know, parenting my children and teaching them financial wisdom. Because what I talked about in the article was that the real lesson you're going to give them 
is what you do with your own money. Like it almost doesn't matter what you tell them. Uh, the, the classroom they're going to sit in is they're going to watch what decisions you make. And most likely they're going to mimic those decisions. Yeah. And I, I thought your first example was, uh, was a good one because it, it showed a real life scenario where you and I have, sorry if I'm jumping the gun, but talking about the widow's offering, uh, we've talked about this at lunch and, and sometimes we overcomplicate it where we go, oh, you know, we, we do a lot of giving and this goes to the church, but then we give to other things too. And, uh, and then do we count that as a, a net after tax number? Do we count it this, count it that? And it almost kind of creates a little bit of anxiety that, you know, are, are we doing enough? And then on the, the other side of the coin, it, it kind of creates guilt that if you go and do things for yourself or your family, you're wondering, you know, should, am I doing it the right way? So I, I was reading this and it made me think of that. Yeah, the widow's offering, it was an example of a client I had early on um, and just watching. Actually, I'll just tell you about it. So I, I, I had this client that I had the opportunity to serve uh, and she had recently lost her husband. And in this process of losing her husband, there's a lot of work that I'm doing to assist, right? Like taking all the retirement accounts, changing them to her name, uh, changing everything else to, to single name and kind of this whole process of, of what you do when, when somebody loses somebody. Uh, the other part is that they get this, you know, if they have life insurance, they get this lump sum of money that comes in a, a death benefit. So when I was depositing that, she like didn't even miss a beat, right? She was in her moment of deepest grief. And she said, hey, make sure you set aside 10% because I'm going to give it away. And I was like, oh, like that simple? You're, you're, you're going to give it away? She's like, yeah. And like she didn't even question it. From that point on, I adopted the exact same thing she did. When money came in the door, I just parsed off 90% for my family and 10% to give away. Everything before that, that I'd read, that I'd listened to, that I've you know thought myself, was way more complex. Like you were talking about, like, is it before taxes or after taxes? Is it a tithe? Is it an offering? And I just loved how she had like no stress. She didn't think about anything else. She was just like, Hey, this is a, this is a financial truth I live by. So I just set aside 10%. And I was like, Oh, hmm. and I've told her before, but I literally just copy pasted what she did. And I hope to teach that to my kids as well. Yeah. And like you said, you're, you're the teacher because your kids are watching what you do. But on the same time, uh, at the same time, I can see why parents would keep finances almost like private for children because it's uh, kids don't have that filter, right? You can't really explain to kids how much money you give to, you know, help out your neighbors or help out here or there because they're kids, you know, they're, they're going to talk about it. So uh, that, that's kind of the other side of the coin is you, you show them that you encourage giving with your money and your time without getting into too much of the details. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it is a good reminder too, that uh, we have a natural tendency to overcomplicate things. And it wasn't even that she gave 10% that like really stood out to me. It was the faith aspect that she didn't go to her financial plan first. She didn't ask any questions. She just said like, this is how I live my life. So it was, it was just, it was part of her DNA. And like I said, it, it always stuck with me. And then you know, when I started executing that for our family, it was like no stress. It was just like, this is what we do. The 90% goes here and the 10% goes here. And, and we kind of move on uh, bigger fish to fry. So it, it was a huge lesson for me. And, and like I said, in the article, you and I have a huge advantage because we get to steal the best ideas from a lot of people, right? Because like you said, it's taboo to talk money, but it's our career. So we talk money with people all the time. And I back pocket ideas all the time. 
where I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. I never thought about it that way. So literally, I've again, uh, this this lady I'm talking about, we've become friends in a sense. And I've told her, I'm like, what I saw you do was life changing for me. Um, and I've fully applied it to my own life. That's so funny you say that. It, it is kind of uh, like taboo because if you think about it, early conversations with people when they kind of ask what we do or how we could help, we're pretty much asking people how old they are and how much money do you have. And uh, those are probably two uncomfortable topics for people to open up with in an early conversation. But uh, when it comes to fin financial planning 101, that, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't remember where I heard it, but I, I remember hearing one financial advisor uh, use kind of these word pictures where they say, yeah, like you have to remember if somebody's stepping into your office and they're financially undressing themselves. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good way to put it. Like they're putting themselves in a very vulnerable state. Yeah. And then your other example, I'll let you tell the story, but uh, I, I thought it was pretty funny reading the story about the necklace. Oh yeah. And I asked this coworker permission, uh, even though we're not going to use names. So we were in the office uh, and this coworker is a friend of mine. Uh, I introduced her to the Bonson group. Uh, and she was wearing this necklace and my family loves like Disney. So I was like, oh, that's a really cool Mary Poppins necklace. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, your necklace. And then she like, grabs it and holds it up. And uh, she's like, that's this lake that my family has a lake house at. And I'm like, oh, it really looks like the shape of Mary Poppins, like with the umbrella coming down uh, from the sky. And it, it started this discussion and it made me think like, huh, that's, it's not odd, but it, I guess it's kind of interesting that you would have uh the shape of a lake as a necklace. But the more I talked to her about it over the years, and I had the opportunity to serve her family as their advisor, I learned how special this lake house was, right? That her kids, uh, my coworkers' kids, they were the fourth generation enjoying this lake house. And all the cousins and the aunts and the uncles, everybody came there annually. I saw the photos, I heard the stories, the festivities, and I started to realize that this was not a house like this was part of the family. Yeah, you, you mentioned in the article too how your wife tries to uh, be thoughtful about gifts and, and you would just rather get a gift card, which I'm the same way. I just wanted to make it easy. And I'm always the first to say like, I don't even know if they're going to like this. Why don't we get them you know, a gift cards? They pick something they like. But maybe that's just a, a cop out so I can justify just getting the gift card. But uh, I, I liked the example about the lake house because I'm sure if we could ask people later in life, you know, what would be more meaningful, you know, leaving a lump sum of money or providing a place like this that can give each generation uh, an abundance of memories where they're able to go and, and spend time with their own families in the future. Uh, that I, I think that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And I, I tried to think about, too, again, my, probably overthinking it, making it too complex. Like there are some ways that you can do some estate planning to kind of ring fence that property away from like, you know, causing fights and people to sell it. But what I've seen in this example I've gave about the lake house, like it's part of the family. Like it's no question of them like wanting to parse it off and, and take the money. Like they have passed down ownership to the third generation. Uh, they have reverence and responsibilities for the property. It's just incredible. And, and like what you said, I would be the exact same way. I'm like, hey, let's get that person a gift card or let's write a check. But my wife, and I, I noticed Jolene Bonson's like this too, they're really intentional about giving like meaningful gifts. And you and I have seen firsthand is that when somebody gets a meaningful gift, it has a much bigger impact than just kind of throwing money their way. So it made me think with this idea of a lake house, and it's not going to be a lake house for everybody, but can you take your money, which is a resource, and employ it in some way where you can create like a platform 
for future memories and in, in, in future generations. And that's why even when we're talking about 529s, could, should that be a place where we pigeonhole money and, and we create like a family scholarship program or something like that? I, I'm just trying to come up with ideas where it, it doesn't mean that somebody just gets this huge lump of sum of money that falls into their checking account all at once. Yeah, and I think uh, we should also mention that uh, when you go into the planning process, you need to kind of make sure that uh, the plan is buttoned up first before you start uh, buying lake houses or, or putting large sums into 529s. Uh, because number one priority is you, you probably don't want to be a burden on your kids financially. So make sure that that's taken care of first, and then you can start thinking outside the box and, and putting together a bucket list of these ideas. Yeah, I like what Joe Klein does in our financial planning department. He has, I don't remember what he calls it, but it's part of his legacy planning. And he basically has like bucket A and bucket B. And bucket A is like, hey, here's all the, the wealth that you need to live the lifestyle you want, plus, you know, cover uh, unforeseen medical costs or something like that. And then bucket B is all these leftovers. So then he takes those leftovers and says, hey, like, what are some financial dreams you might have that you'd want to fulfill? And how do you pass this down in a way where your children are mature enough to be able to steward this surplus. Yeah, that's well said. And that, that kind of goes back to the the entire conversation we've had about making sure that we're supportive to our kids, but at the same time, putting them in a, uh, an environment to be successful. And uh, it's probably a good segue into the chickens. Oh, there the a lot chickens. chickens right now? Yeah. You know, your family is from uh, Maui, your in-laws. Is there a lot of chickens there? Yeah, once you go down uh, uh, closer to the beach, like uh, Kihei, you'll be having breakfast or coffee, and there's chickens and roosters kind of everywhere, just walking around. Yeah, there is chickens everywhere in Kauai, uh, even so much to where like all the logos and the t-shirts and everything have a rooster on them. So <clears throat> one of the things I mentioned in the article is we've spent a lot of time at the beach on this vacation, and my two little boys, ages three and four, they always want to feed the birds. And my father-in-law is like, hey, stop that. No, no, no. And I, I and they kind of, they're inquisitive. So the boys are like, hey, why can't we feed the roosters? And I told them, hey, there's two reasons. One, you start feeding them. They're going to bring all their friends. And it's going to become really annoying because they're all going to hover around you. And they're going to get confident. And they're going to start jumping on the table and trying to eat food right out of your hands. That's one reason not to do it. Um, be, and the second reason is they're going to become dependent on you. And they're not going to learn to fend for themselves. And as I was writing those words of like, hey, these two reasons, like they're going to keep coming back for more and they're not going to learn to fend for themselves. And that has to resonate with you as a parent, that there's got to be some balance you have with your kids. Otherwise, and I hate to say this because I love them to death, but I've seen this with my own brother, um, that people will absolutely, one, keep coming back for more. Um, they'll never be satiated, right? And it's because they've, two, never learn to fend for themselves. And I, I, I kind of placed in one sentence in the article that you can give a ton of examples of folks that have won the lotto or, you know, people that are professional athletes. Um, this idea is that when you're overwhelmed by too much wealth and you don't have the maturity to match that or the stewardship that only comes with time and experience and kind of that wisdom you build up, it becomes a huge problem. Yeah. I have a, a short, uh, I guess, a little funny story that this reminded me of. Before I do, I don't think your two reasons probably worked very well with the kids because they're like, wait, that means we get more birds? That sounds great. And then they'll keep coming back and then we leave tomorrow. What's the big deal? <laughs> no, what ends up happening is my, my oldest, like, will break off a little chip 
and he'll like put his hand out and he'll look at me and like look for a nod and like put it out a little further. And I'm like, Shepard, no, there's no more feeding the birds. And my father-in-law is much more direct because he hates it. So he's like, hey, you stop. <laughs> That's funny. The other night we uh, were, car- I was carpooling with a, a friend, uh, another dad from our baseball team. And so we have three, you know, nine-year-old boys in the back seat, and they're just being crazy boys. And it was interesting seeing the difference in parenting. And we're on our way home. It's like late. It's like eight o'clock. And Mason's my oldest. So I'm not strict, but I'm kind of like, all right, we're going to get home, get you to bed. You have an early morning. You have stuff to do. And they're like, can we get ice cream? Can we have a sleepover? Can we go watch a movie? Can we do this? And they're like relentless. And, and I can see the other dad. And he's in a different stage of life because that nine-year-old's his youngest. And so he has two older kids. And you can just tell he's like pretty easy to, to cave. He's like, no, well, and I'm like, no, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing this. And it was kind of funny. I, I was laughing because I could see him get like almost like they're wearing him down where you're just giving up. He's like, sure, whatever. I'll concede and, and I'll say yes to ice cream so I don't have to say yes to the sleepover or whatever it might be. And it, it just made me think about uh, I've, I have three kids. And so with my younger ones, I'm wondering if the same thing is going to happen where, you know, it's easy for me to say no to the oldest. And then the second I say, no, don't feed the chickens. And then when, you know, baby girl Olivia wants to feed him, I'm like, say, oh, okay, go ahead, you know, feed as many as you want. And I, I wonder if it's kind of the same thing as you have more resources. And as you get later in life, it's just easier to uh, say yes. And, and you end up almost in a weird way enabling. And I wonder if there's studies out there that, you know, I, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, firstborns end up being more independent. And then middle childs are always kind of fighting for attention. And then I wonder if the youngest, they end up do getting babied a little bit more because of the parents have more resources and it's their last time with kids. So they might feel like they're going to say yes more and be more fun. Yeah, that resonates with me. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny because you can even relate that to, to being an advisor. You and I have the privilege of you know, mentoring other advisors. And when you sit in on a first meeting, you see that that tenseness or tension and like that kind of overbearing feeling that they have. And you're like, hey, just relax. You know what I mean? So there is this idea that there's a balance there that yes, as you know, it's your third or fourth kid, there's probably the relaxed factor. Um, but you probably want to balance it with not being too liberal. Uh, because I am the baby of the family. And I am the baby of the family. I definitely got spoiled a bit. So but there, there is one thing there. I listened to this uh, podcast series recently that was kind of this the rise and fall of this pretty prominent Christian leader. And one of the things that said in the podcast that stuck with me was that when charisma outpaces uh, character, it can be a huge problem. And for me, I just thought, oh, it's like when wealth outpaces stewardship, it can be a huge problem. And I know nobody out there is feeling bad for extremely wealthy families, but man, they have a very, very, very difficult job on their hands because that tension of helping without hindering is very hard when the decimal starts moving over and the the size of the wealth becomes much larger. You know, and I, I don't know, like you can go to the end of the spectrum and you can look at somebody like Warren Buffett who says he's going to give it all away. Like maybe that's the conclusion somebody's gotten to when I, that decimal's moved pretty far because they just think all the research that you read is that, you know, by the third generation, wealth has been basically destroyed. So again, it's personal finance. It's personal. This is absolutely a riddle. 
And you have to be thoughtful because regardless, you can't opt out. Like not a choice is a choice. I think you're right. I don't think people are going to feel bad for the uh, very well off, but it is, it is something that it also should, we, we see it all the time that, you know, money doesn't solve all the problems. You know, it, uh, if people are unhappy or if they're not good stewards or if they struggle with, you know, planning or budgeting or just have family issues to begin with, the money can actually just make it all a lot worse and uh, a little bit more toxic. And, uh, you know, I've seen family dynamics where they, they almost wish that there wasn't money to fight over with siblings or there wasn't this. And, and it was pretty interesting because at that time I didn't have any money. So I, I really was like, oh, wow, that must mean a lot. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've sat front row seat, not only for clients, but my own family uh, having, you know, multiple aunts and uncles and seeing, hey, when everybody has to sit at the dinner table, uh, when, you know, grandma has passed away and how this is passed down and parsed out, it creates tension. Uh, and, you know, different things about people's personality start to surface uh, and offenses come and hurts and pains, uh, like real scars that don't um, heal quickly. So, yeah, I, I ended the article with this idea of I went on Amazon and, and looked up personal finance. And what was the number one selling book uh, on personal finance? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm not promoting the book, but I'm just saying it's exactly what we're talking about today. Like this guy wrote this article of saying, like, I had my own father, um, or not article, he wrote a book. Uh, and he said, I had my own father who had these beliefs about money. And then I had my friend's dad who had these beliefs about money. And he basically, you know, gleaned these truths and, and, and made the decisions on how he wanted to form his own, you know, financial path based on a front row seat. And that's how human beings work. They mimic. I see it all the time with my kids, like, the way I treat my wife or the words I use or the things I do. Like if I do something to my three-year-old, like wrestling and doing something, I turn around and my four-year-old's doing that to him. And I'm like, ah, I have to be conscious. I am a role model. And I remember when I was younger, I don't remember who it was, but there was a professional basketball player. And he's like, hey, I didn't sign up to be a role model. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you signed up. Like you are a role model. You know what I mean? So if you're a dad, whether you like it or not, you are a role model. So when it comes to finance, you are going to be modeling financial wisdom, financial maturity, and financial truths and financial decisions and all of this, whether you like it or not. And the fact that Amazon number one bestselling book is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it resonates. Like it goes far. It's deeper uh, than we could probably talk about on this podcast. Yeah. And I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a generation that didn't want to talk about money with their kids. You know, they, they, they kind of kept it tight lipped and said, don't worry about it. But then uh, a lot of the state planning meetings we do now, I hear stories of that where things weren't organized, they didn't make sense when their parents passed away. And the first thing they say is, oh, it was such a pain or a nightmare. I want to make sure that doesn't happen to my kids when I pass away. So I want to make sure everything's buttoned up and I have clear communication with them now. That way there's no surprises or question marks or, or anything like that, you know, when that time comes. And I find that interesting because you're right, uh, I, I being in the industry we're in, I want to make sure my kids have a clear understanding on you know, savings and, and investing in, in how those will impact the rest of his life, their lives. But at the same time, I, like I said, I don't want to share too much detail too early. I want them to enjoy being kids first. Yeah. And that's a great way to kind of wrap up the, the podcast. And you and I will continue to, to wrestle with this idea that, you know, in the moment, we know from just memory that we didn't love those struggles. 
But now in hindsight, we're like, oh, those struggles were so good for us, right? They were character building. They created work ethic. Like there's different, you know, jobs we had in the past where like, I hated doing X, Y, Z. And then you realize, huh, that was like really good batting practice for what I do now. Uh, there's a Bible verse and I, I don't remember it. Uh, it's in James, but it, it talks about this idea of just count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations, which means like, h- how could you take joy in, in trials and tribulations and place them together? But there's this realization that when you go through those struggles, you know, uh, I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book on it, um, David versus Goliath. This idea is that w- when you go through those struggles, uh, there's so much that's built along the way uh, that you can use further in life. So we have a challenge as a parent. How do we, we can't fabricate those. So how do we give our kids the freedom to have struggles and experiences, um, but still take our fruits of our labor and be able to pass them down in a loving fashion that doesn't hinder them. That is the challenge. And uh, all of us that are listening to this podcast will address that in in one way or the other. Again, you can't opt out. Uh, uh, No choice is a choice. So if you have any of those parenting tips that you want to send our way, uh, you can send them to both of us. Uh, you can reach us at Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. We would ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. Uh, you can also use that email for any comments, questions, or different episode ideas of things you'd like us to talk about. Hopefully today was helpful. And then uh, next week I'll be back in Newport Beach and we will be sharing more of our thoughts, thoughts on money. On money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.